The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Help! I need somebody. Help! Not just anybody. Help! You know I need someone. Welcome to Family Caregivers Unite with Dr. Gordon Atherley. Family caregivers don't have to be alone in their experiences. You will hear from experts and other caregivers facing the same issues that you may be facing. Now, here is your host, Dr. Gordon Atherley. Welcome to episode 314 of Family Caregivers Unite. This is Dr. Gordon Atherley, your host. I'm a physician retired from medical practice. Our topic today is eye movement desensitization and reprocessing treatment for PTSD, that's post-traumatic stress disorder. Now, sometimes someone experiences an event which is so unexpected and so emotionally shattering that it continues to have serious effects on them long after any physical or other danger has passed. Persons with this kind of experience may relive the events that cause them the intense fear and horror through flashbacks and nightmares, and they may become emotionally frozen. When they remain in this state for more than a month, their condition is diagnosed as post-traumatic stress disorder, which is a form of anxiety disorder. Now, post-traumatic stress disorder can become so severe that the individual finds it difficult or maybe even impossible to lead a normal life. Treatments for post-traumatic stress disorder include medications called antidepressants. But in 2005 and 2007, the U.S. Food and Drug Administration called for these medications, these antidepressants, to be labeled with a warning of suicide risk for some children, adults, adolescents, and young adults, which is why treatments that avoid medications are so often preferred and are so often preferable, and which is why our topic, eye movement desensitization and reprocessing treatment for PTSD is so important. To discuss it, our guest is Dr. Nancy Erebo. Nancy is a psychologist from Missoula, Montana, She recently retired from the Department of Veterans Affairs. She now has a private clinical practice and provides eye movement desensitization and reprocessing treatment, EMDR. EMDR. I have trouble with acronyms, but I think I'm getting that one. For people with post-traumatic stress disorder, among other disorders. She's an approved consultant and EMDR Institute trainer. Among other EMDR publications, she's authored one called Like a Ghost, Using EMDR to Revive a Traumatized Vet's Marriage. And that was published in the Psychotherapy Network. In 2008, she was the recipient of the Elizabeth Snyker Memorial Award, and in 2010, she was an invited presenter at the first EMDR Asia conference in Bali, Indonesia. So, welcome to the show, Nancy. Thank you. 
It's great to be here. Great. Now, let's start by asking you to tell us a little bit more about your career and about any experience you have with family caregiving. Yes. Well, as you said, I very recently, just in January 2014, retired from a 24-year career with the U.S. Department of Veterans Affairs. Um, And throughout that career, uh, I have become increasingly aware of the efforts uh, made by families and the challenges they have in caring for our veterans with various kinds of uh, problems that they've had from serving in our military. Uh, and I've worked, in fact, with a lot of the families, tried to support them in the challenges that they have and tried to uh, work with veterans to make their burden a little easier. Now, I want you to tell us about your clinical practice that you went into, I presume, after you retired from the, from, um, the veterans. Yes, I've always, had a, I've always had a part-time practice oh, okay. in addition to my VA career. Uh, so it's, it's ongoing. I see uh, adults and adolescents, uh, sometimes uh, children too. For uh, My specialty really is post-traumatic stress disorder. I see a lot of people who, get in, who have PTSD from car crashes and sexual assaults and... Uh, childhood abuse. I see uh, first responders and police officers and, well, anybody who uh, feels like trauma has uh, affected their lives. Now, you're a doctor of psychology. Yes. Um, Let me just ask you to explain to people how a doctor of psychology differs from a doctor of psychiatry. Yes. A doctor of psychology is uh, that, you know, psychology is the study of human behavior. Uh, Of course, a psychiatrist is a medical doctor, has been through medical school and with an emphasis uh, in psychiatry and uh, can uh, prescribe medications, of course, for psychiatric disorders, whereas uh, psychologists do not prescribe uh, and and they are not medical uh, doctors. They have uh, a research background, uh, a clinical background. Uh, they study assessment, psychological testing. Right. Now, I want to go now to, I'm going to use the acronym EMDR. Um, and I want you, please, now to explain, highlight the purposes and applications of EMDR. Yes. EMDR uh, is an information processing uh, psychotherapy, and it's, it's simple. It involves a person thinking, just bringing to mind a traumatic experience, an actual traumatic memory, and then uh, we guide the person's eyes back and forth, back and forth, Uh, by moving our hand in front of their face. We do sets of those eye movements. And that seems to activate an inherent information processing system that we all have in our 
process in our uh, bodies. You know, like the body heals itself. We know that. Uh, if you cut yourself, it heals. Well, the mind is like that too. If we have a traumatic experience, if we have an emotional upset, we heal from it naturally. And most of the time that system just works outside of our awareness. And we just naturally feel better uh, and seem to bounce back. But sometimes an event occurs that seems to overwhelm, unbalance, uh, stick uh, in, an, in, a, in a maladaptive way, and then we don't bounce back and we don't get over it, and it produces negative patterns of thoughts, feelings, behaviors, perceptions, and it can lead to a diagnosis of post-traumatic stress disorder. And so, Carry on. Yes. So when we do these sets of eye movements, no one knows exactly why that seems to activate this natural system that we have and keep it active long enough so that it can do its work and the person naturally heals just like our bodies are supposed to do and meant to do. But it could work along the lines of REM sleep. You know, when we have REM sleep and we dream, that's when the body does a lot of its emotional healing work. And that's one reason why people feel better and more refreshed when they wake up in the morning. Um, it also could have a, a dual attention. Uh, we, the, the eye movements that the person is doing remind the person that they are in the present even as they're thinking about the past and feeling the feelings that they had in the past. And that may be uh, part of the mechanism uh, of EMDR. Now, I'm going to summarize back to you something you said, and that is EMDR, it seems to me, from what you've been saying, is, is in fact part, becomes part of the healing process that otherwise isn't doing too well or perhaps is obstructed in some way or another. And that's where EMDR does its healing. Am I at least half right about that? Yes, that sounds good. You see, because what it comes back to, as I mentioned in the introduction, um, medications are used to treat anxiety, and the medications have their place. Nobody will dispute that. But on the other hand, medications are, do have serious side effects, downsides, and the rest of it. And when the antidepressants are associated as the Food and Drugs Administration did with suicide, particularly of young people, that's a stark warning. So therefore, the idea of healing that you're talking about with your specialization of EMDR is profoundly important because what it really, I think, is doing is providing a safe form of healing and relief for the brain. Now, once again, is that... At least half right. Well, yes, it is. And in fact, there there was a study done by Bessel van der Kolk uh, from Boston University, it which compared uh, 
EMDR to Prozac. And they both made people feel better. But actually, the effects of EMDR uh, were more comprehensive and long-lasting. The people who terminated the medication, their symptoms came back, and EMDR uh, held over time. Right. Now, we've come to the end of this particular segment, and so we're going to take the break. This is, um, Nancy, where I always say this is where we have to pay the rent. Um, So we'll do that now. But I want to say this is profoundly important, and we're coming back in segment two to more about the kind of successes you've been talking about. So now, this is Dr. Gordon Adley, and my guest is Dr. Nancy Eribo. You're listening to Family Caregivers Unite on the Voice America and Empowerment Channels and CJMP 90.1 FM Community Radio. Please stay with us. We're coming back. Streaming live. The leader in Internet talk radio. VoiceAmerica.com. There are over 140 million products manufactured worldwide. It is impossible to know the ingredients in these products, especially those made overseas. Stan Salat, Jr., President and CEO of the HSF Mark and the Counterfeit Mark Alliance, is the host of People to People, working together for your safety. Stan believes in our right to know the type and amount of hazardous materials in consumer products and whether they are counterfeit. Find out how you can protect yourself every Tuesday at 2 p.m. Pacific Time, 5 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Variety. Do you ever just ask why? If others, especially children, ask you the same question, how do you answer? Is life a whole bunch of questions just waiting for the right answer? When you tune in to The Mickey Ellison Show, you'll find out how to find the answers and open up so many more questions as you do. At what point in our lives did we stop answering the why questions and just settle for whatever answer we've been programmed to settle for? Never stop asking why. Join Mickey Ellison every Wednesday at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific on Voice America Variety. In the spirit of Have Couch Will Travel, Dr. Carol Lieberman creates a haven of sanity in an increasingly insane world. Each day we are bombarded with news of events that have never crossed our wildest nightmares. Society is spiraling out of control and everyone is reeling from it. But now there's an answer. The best way to keep sane in this insane world is to tune in to Dr. Carol's Couch on Voice America. Dr. Carol, a certified media psychiatrist, will broadcast live from her Beverly Hills office every Tuesday at 1 p.m. Pacific time. Call or log in and get help with whatever is sending you reeling whenever you need a soothing voice to calm and advise you. That's Dr. Carol's Couch every Tuesday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time here on America's Voice, voiceamerica.com. Ask the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787. Hello? And ask our all-star team to answer your question. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. You are listening to Family Caregivers Unite with Dr. Gordon Atherley. If you have any questions or comments about our program, please address them by email to docg at familycaregiversunite.org. Now, back to Family Caregivers Unite. Welcome back to uh, 
Family Caregivers Unite and Dr. Nancy Eribo. Our topic is eye movement desensitization and reprocessing treatment for PTSD. Now, Nancy, let's talk about the ways in which post-traumatic stress disorders affect people in various circumstances. So my first question is, please highlight us, highlight for us the ways in which post-traumatic stress disorders occur in and affect military personnel, police, and first responders, such as ambulance, crews, and firefighters. Nancy? Yes. Well, you know, the, the, the people, the individuals that you just mentioned, um, have, they are in constant danger, really. Uh, they never know when uh, something is going to uh, put them in peril of their lives. Uh, and they might have uh, long periods of downtime, but they're in that atmosphere where anything could happen and the worst could happen at any time. And that seems to set their autonomic nervous systems at a higher levels of arousal. And it also can solidify negative views of the world, negative views of other people, negative uh, views of themselves even, because they have sometimes repeatedly uh, seen the worst uh, that can happen, and they've seen the worst of what human beings can do to each other. They have very likely have multiple traumas, not just one. And uh, they can have a confusing experience of being authorized to use deadly force on another human being, and then the awareness that someone can use deadly force on them so they can feel very powerful and yet helpless at the same time. It can, it can produce a confusing emotional mix. Uh, so they, it's a very uh, complex inner world that they develop and a, highly, a high attunement to uh, danger at any time. And another thing, that heightened uh, autonomic arousal makes, they can be irritable, they can have hair-triggered temper that other people have a hard time understanding, and they themselves can regret very much, but they don't seem to have much control over it at times. This is something that also brings them that sense that there's no help available. Um, even, and this is a difficult one to say, even perhaps to the point where they take their own lives, where they commit suicide. Have you any comments on that? Oh, yes. Uh, it's really, of course, I think everyone is aware that the suicide rate is higher among veterans than among civilian populations. I think their inner experience can just become unbearable. They can start to think that the other people would be better off without them. Uh, it's, it's, really, it's really worrisome to all of us. Right. Now, 
please highlight for us the ways in which post-traumatic stress disorders occur in and affect children, adolescents, and adults. Yes, I, anyone can get PTSD, and there are so much that the incident is is pretty uh, pretty high. Uh, sexual assault. About 95% of people who get uh, uh, sexually assaulted will develop post-traumatic stress symptoms at which sometimes abate uh, naturally by themselves. We talked about that information processing system that naturally heals. But if they are not healed with, you know, getting better within a year, they're not going to get better without treatment. And, of course, I might add that sexual assault very, unfortunately, is prevalent in our veterans as well. And then there is uh, car crashes, uh, which uh, next to uh, sexual assault uh, is the most common cause of post-traumatic stress disorder in a civilian population. And, of course, um, children have a little different presentation, but really in all people with PTSD, you have that, that the symptom triad of the intrusive symptoms, which is the nightmares and intrusive thoughts. And the arousal, which is what I was just talking about with vets, where you have the exaggerated startle response, the irritability, always being on edge, scanning for danger. And then there is the avoidance cluster, which in some ways is the most uh, troubling of all, that withdrawal from life, that emotional shutting down and numbing, which is so uh, devastating to uh, people's relationships. Now, talking of relationships, let's ask a similar question, but this time focus it on the families. Yes. Um, and the families who are caring for family members who are living with post-traumatic stress disorders from all any or all of these causes that you've just been talking about. So, Let's put it in a clearer way, that question. Please highlight for us the ways in which post-traumatic stress disorders affect families caring for family members with post-traumatic stress disorders. Nancy? Oh, yes. Uh, you know, in a way, the person with post-traumatic stress disorder has sometimes not much control over their responses, as I was talking about before. So their emotional uh, mood will set the tone for the whole household. And people describe having to walk on eggshells and making sure that that don't wake him up, don't make any sudden moves, uh, et cetera, et cetera, that, and that can be difficult. The family can start over-functioning, like taking over responsibilities that the person with PTSD should really be handling because they don't want them to suffer or they don't want to set them off. And then the, that leads to resentment, uh, blaming, uh, criticism, uh, the, the person, I've, I've known a lot of veterans who have an aversion to planning for the future. 
there's something about that that makes them anxious uh, because, you know, plans never work out or they've seen uh, the best plans turn into disasters and they don't want any part of it. And that really leads to uh, a loss of connection, a loss of intimacy, a loss of involvement. Uh, there's also some research uh, done with Vietnam children of Vietnam veterans that show that the children of the veterans with PTSD have PTSD symptoms themselves. It's actually passed along like that. Now, let's just talk more about that one, because what it immediately raises is the question of should families, family members, children, in the situations you've just described, also be receiving EMDR treatment? What do you think? Well, I think so. In fact, I knew um, a psychologist at the Seattle Vet Center who kind of specialized in teenage sons of Vietnam veterans who were angry with their fathers. And he gave them EMDR treatment, and it really helped a lot. So what this comes back to, then, is this broad point that however the PTSD affected an individual, military service, uh, car crash, sexual assault, all the things you've mentioned, um, where there's a family involved, then the condition disrupts the family, places additional burdens on the family, and stresses the family, if that's the right word, even to the point where they develop some form of PTSD. Is that yes. a fair summary? Yes. Yeah. Now, how widely recognized is that, that linkage across through the family and across the family? How widely <laughs> recognized is it? I think that uh, families definitely recognize it. And I think that uh, certainly everybody that I've worked with at the Department of Veterans Affairs uh, has tried uh, to help with this, recognizes it. There's been some research on it. I don't know how much the public at large knows about this. Now, I'm going to ask you this question. There's more and more interest these days in preparing guidelines of one form or another. And these are for clinicians like you, but they're also starting to be prepared for families and yes. situations, difficult situations. Would you see any scope for use for a family caregiver guideline for PTSD in the kind of situations where the family itself might be affected. Just quickly, what do you think? Would well, it make I, sense? of course, think that would be helpful. I think anything you can do to learn more about uh, the effects on uh, family systems of, of PTSD or psychiatric problems of any kind, I think, of course, that you are better equipped to deal with it. Right. And, yeah, just have more understanding and facts. Right. Now, I think at that point, um, I'm going to, to take the break because it is the time, because what we're going to be talking about in the next segment is um, the ways the treatment, you use the treatment and and its its benefits and effects. So let's take the 
the uh, the break now. This is Dr. Gordon Atherley. My guest is Dr. Nancy Eribo. You're listening to Family Caregivers Unite on the Voice America Variety and Empowerment Channels and CJMP 90.1 FM Community Radio. Please stay with us. We're coming back. Think you've seen everything there is to see in online television? Let us surprise you. Visit voiceamerica.tv today for sports, health, business, and more on demand 24-7. American Heroes Network is a program for and about our American veteran heroes and their families. Join Gary Ray with his co-host Linda Crater as they show what is being done to help our veterans and showcase the companies and organizations that are helping our veterans and their families rebuild their lives. Listen for American Heroes Network, live and powered by the Voice America Variety Channel, every Tuesday at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific Time. Want to help make our world a better place, but not sure where to start? Tune into Better Worldians Radio with the creators of the social game on Facebook called A Better World. Join hosts Ray, Mary Sue, and Gregory Hansel, who will inspire you to make a big difference in small ways. They'll speak to experts, authors, volunteers, and everyday people who are changing the world daily. Better Worldians Radio is heard live every Thursday at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific Time on Voice America Variety. What sets apart VoiceAmerica.tv from the other video content providers on the Internet? Choice and flexibility means that you can host your video content live or on demand on the main VoiceAmerica.tv channels through your own branded media player or your own private TV channel. We support multiple media formats, so all of your video content can be in one place. We offer a number of advertising and video packages. For more information, visit VoiceAmerica.tv. If you think you've seen online TV like this before, let us surprise you. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com You are listening to Family Caregivers Unite with Dr. Gordon Atherley. If you have any questions or comments about our program, please address them by email to docg at familycaregiversunite.org. Now, back to to Family Caregivers Unite. Welcome back to our listeners to Family Caregivers Unite and Dr. Nancy Erebo. Our topic is eye movement desensitization and reprocessing treatment for PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder. Nancy, now let's discuss the ways in which you, you use eye movement desensitization and reprocessing as treatment for post-traumatic stress disorders affect affecting people in the various circumstances you've been talking about. So first question then is, how do you use, you use EMDR as treatment for, we've got, I'm going to call them military personnel, personnel in the difficult uh, environment of, so to speak, the front line, whether it's ambulance crews or firefighters. Please tell us about the ways in which you use EMDR. Yes. Well, it depends on the setting. EMDR can be used, like uh, in the while someone is still in the dangerous situation, uh, they are using it uh, in um, you know in the military zone. 
Uh, mostly we think of it as though being used after the person is in a safe situation. And EMDR, the most uh, famous uh, segment of the treatment is the eye movement, the back and forth eye movement, which we uh, sometimes call bilateral stimulation. But that is only one part of the treatment. EMDR is a comprehensive treatment that is always in a uh, treatment plan. And before we start targeting and moving our hand uh, when the person is thinking of the trauma, we are going to establish safety and stability, meaning the person is going to be in a, a safe uh, state with uh, resources to depend on, that is internal resources and external resources. Internal resources uh, are specifically that the person can, has the capacity to shift emotional state uh, when, they, when they desire to and need to. So in, in other words, we don't want the person to access the intense emotional uh, experience without being able to turn the volume down on that when they need to. Uh, we, and uh, the person needs to also be able to tolerate uh, some intense emotional pain in the interest of reprocessing it and uh, releasing it. Uh, you know that remember that cycle I talked about where the the it's like there's two competing natural processes. One is where the brain and the body want to review the experience so that it can heal and and completely reprocess, and the other natural process is the desire uh, to avoid pain. So the pain gets to a certain point, the person then finds out how to emotionally uh, or physically escape, and then you get the numbing, and the intrusive and numbing symptoms just cycle, and that is the cycle of PTSD. So we want to be sure that the person can develop some tools to change their emotional state when necessary. We take a history, we find out what memories are the, seem to have been the source of the most distress, and when we have that preparation done, then we have the person think of the memory that we've chosen, and we do sets of eye movements, and the person will, it's like a train moving along a track. Uh, you know how when you're looking out the window of a train, you're seeing all the scenery go by and some of it is pleasant and some of it is, is not pleasant and you can't control what's, what's going to come up in the next minute in the next frame of the window and you can't hang on to it either. It's just streaming by. And it's like what we want is for the person to start out with the distressing memory and move along that track to the destination of health and adaptation. 
and on the way they're linking the negative information and the net and the pain with more positive resources uh, their intelligence their coping their understanding their ability to make meaning right now I'm going to stop you there because I want to ask you um, to put the, all those things you've been saying in the context of your treating children and young people what do you do differently if anything providing the EMDR treatment to these young people? Well, it's actually very similar. Children respond very well to EMDR because, for one thing, they have shorter, they, they don't have as many experiences and they don't, haven't had as much time to get into negative patterns. But it's very much the same. You have them hold the memory, whatever it is, in, you know, uh, of, of when they were hurt or when, when they had the accident or whatever it was, and you do the sets of, of eye movements. Sometimes real little kids can't track their eyes across the midline, so you might tap their hands or their knees and keep that going in a rhythm. And it proceeds very much the same, only sometimes quite a bit faster. Right, right. Now, um, it's always the same question, is the way in which you use uh, EMDR. But this time, I want to know about the ways in which families are helped in their caring. And, you know, it may be children or it may be a veteran they're caring for. And how, to what extent the treatment involves them that is to say i assume you do the treatment in your office yes and do do the family members come to the office when you're giving the treatment please talk about the in other words the details of the treatment uh, for that involve families particularly families for children and young people yes um Many times we do have parents of small children in the room. It adds to the safety for the children, and uh, and that can be very uh, good. They can have we uh, usually for adults we have the adult alone in the room just because it's a lot to manage. If you have family members there, they may have their own emotional responses to what's going on, and there's nobody really paying attention to them. But uh, many times with with young children, we do have the parent uh, there. Is that what you mean? Yes, I do. That's exactly what I mean. So normally you're doing this uh, with just one person, that is the person with the PTSD. That's now, correct. Is when, now, I'm going back to the adults now and the frontline crews, as I call them. Um, are the people who you're providing this um, treatment to still at work or are they home um, being on some kind of rest away from duty? What, what kind of life circumstances are they in, the, the, the adults you're caring for? Well, our preference really is to have, our goal is to have the most change possible while a person is functioning in their day-to-day life. We really 
want people to be functioning and working and going to school and leading lives and, and working EMDR in with that. Some of the people we work with are disabled or, yet, yeah, taking a break. <laughs> but yes. we really like to have people functioning. We don't want to interfere with the lives people are leading. Now, of course, there are, uh, like in the VA, there are inpatient programs that use EMDR. And in those cases, the person is in a residential inpatient setting. What would you say would be the difference in broad terms between the individual who's in the residential setting, that is to say, in some kind of care, and the individual who's still, so to speak, at work? Why the difference between the two? Oh, I think that there are people who just have, they can't really work because of their symptoms. They are so uh, hyper-aroused or so depressed that they really, that they have just, they have to have that intensive kind of treatment and then hopefully they can go back to uh, to school or to work or, but I, I think I think a lot of people can keep can keep working and add therapy and EMDR to what they're doing, and and hopefully uh, it will enhance what they can do. They they're less hyper aroused. They they sleep better because their nightmares uh, very often drop out with EMDR, which really helps everybody. Sure. So would it be fair, a fair summary to say whether they're treated, and I'm going to use some um, medical terminology here, as outpatients or inpatients is really a matter of the severity of the PTSD. Is that right? Yes. Now, what then would you say is the outcome? Are the people who are more severely affect, affected less likely to benefit or just as likely to benefit from EMDR as the people who you can treat as outpatients? I think they're just as likely to benefit. That's profoundly, I'm going, <laughs> Nancy, that's profoundly important, isn't it? That's saying that this is a key treatment. Um, this is a key treatment that is um, going to benefit people even when the condition that has resulted in their being diagnosed and then admitted for hospital type care, even when it's very serious, you're, you are nevertheless op giving an optimistic outlook um, on the chances and state of recovery. Is that right? I am. I'm going to really just summarize back to you because we're coming to the end of this particular segment and we're going to be talking about things that we're going, we would like to do uh, more of in the next segment. Well, what I, well, the message I'm getting is that this is um, something that what you're doing is something that's important in an increasingly trouble, troubling, worrisome situation. Um, there's a lot of attention being given to it, but there's no doubt that there's a lot of severity about, uh, um, I, I go so far as to say that 
suicide is the ultimate expression of severity of a condition. And therefore, that you are able to provide your treatment in an outpatient capacity facility um, arrangement just as successfully as you can in an inpatient facility um, arrangement and so on is profoundly important because what it's saying is that the treatment is effective, the treatment produces good and therefore the treatment creates that something that doctors love to talk about, prognosis, the outlook that is very favorable. Uh, I know I'm repeating myself a bit but I want to stress the importance of this as it seems to me. Nancy, do you agree with what I just said to you? Yes, I do. I am not saying that EMDR is a cure-all. I am not saying that it is quick and easy at all, but I am saying that people who use it, people who, uh, and they, they stick with it, and uh, they will have good outcomes. Yeah, good. Good. Now, at this point, we do have to take the break, so we'll do that now. This is Dr. Gordon Atherley, and my guest is Dr. Nancy Eribo. You're listening to Family Caregivers Unite on the Voice America Variety and Empowerment channels and CJMP 90.1 FM Community Radio. Please stay with us. We're coming back. Stimulating talk it gets those synapses in the brain inspired really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. Tune in to the Voice America Variety Channel on the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Voice America Variety broadcasts a diverse array of topics reaching a global community. Our experts come from all walks of life, and the topics they discuss are everything from current events, arts and entertainment, leadership, parenting, relationships, self-improvement, career advice, and a variety of other topics. Check us out today. You're sure to find something of interest. Voice America Variety. Talk on today's hot topics. Museums are great places to work and wonderful places to visit. But are they essential? How can we improve our museum practice so that museums remain vital and essential players in society? Listen for Museum Life with host Carol Bossert, where each week we'll discuss timely and topical issues of concern to the museum community. Museum Life can be heard live every Friday morning at 10 a.m. Eastern Time, 7 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Think of the world 50 years ago. Now think of this same world and how it'll be 50 years from now. Did you know that if the world's population continues to grow at its current rate, our children and grandchildren will only have 25% of the resources per capita that our parents and grandparents had? We must preserve the foundation of a quality standard of living. That foundation starts with Go Green Radio. Join your host, Jill Buck, for Go Green Radio every Friday at noon Eastern, 9 a.m. Pacific on Voice America. Streaming live. The leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. You are listening to Family Caregivers Unite with Dr. Gordon Atherley. If you have any questions or comments about our program, please address them by email to docg at familycaregiversunite.org. Now, 
back to Family Caregivers Unite. Welcome back to our listeners to Family Caregivers Unite and Dr. Nancy Erebo. Our topic is eye movement desensitization and reprocessing treatment for PTSD. Nancy, I want you to tell us about what more you would like to do and to see done to promote the treatment um, for post-traumatic stress disorders. So first question to you is, what more would you like to do to promote EMDR as treatment? Nancy? Well, I would like to help uh, anyone who works with an underserved population of trauma uh, survivors to get EMDR treatment, and I would uh, like them to go to the EMDR Humanitarian Assistance Program, recently renamed Trauma Recovery, to see about lower-cost trainings that they could take. And you want to be part of that movement, am I right? Oh, yes. Well, I am part of it. <laughs> All right. Good. Now, what more would you like to see done and by whom would you like to see it done to promote EMDR for PTSD? I would like the academic community to step up and understand more about EMDR than they do. Um, you know, EMDR was not derived like a lot of other therapies. Most therapies were derived from a theory, theoretical principles. EMDR was derived uh, by a graduate student in psychology, Dr. Francine Shapiro, on her own observations of her accidental discovery that spontaneous eye movements produce a favorable effect on emotional distress. And as so, I think the academic community just hasn't caught up uh, with the clinical applications right now. And I would like to see them try to understand more and teach more uh, about uh, EMDR and, the, and its effectiveness. I'm an ex-academic myself, so I take take very much what you've been saying and you're emphasizing that this EMDR should be taught uh, and in courses of the kind that you went through um, on your way to becoming a doctor of psychology and I gather from you you'd like to see the same thing done um, in medical student training perhaps. Am I right? Oh I surely would. I surely would. Right. Now I want to ask you a broader kind of question, and that is, overall, what is your message for families and their family members together who are, as a family, living with post-traumatic stress disorders? What's your message for them, Nancy? I would like to see people with PTSD and their families really develop another strategy besides avoidance. You know, most people, as I said, want to avoid pain, and they don't want to see anybody suffer. So they develop these strategies of escaping either physically, mentally, emotionally, or all three from reminders of the trauma, uh, 
any feelings associated with the trauma, and they really develop this avoidance to a high pitch. And avoidance actually, sadly, ensures that a person will never heal from the trauma because they need to reprocess the traumatic memory, including the painful emotion of it. And that can be difficult, but the rewards are so great. And I just wish people would approach that and enter into it and uh, uh, do that work. Right. Is the word confront correct here? In other words, you're saying avoid the avoidance. Um, I am definitely saying avoid the avoidance. Yeah. And therefore, in avoiding the avoidance, you're you're suggesting to people they confront these memories, these sensations that they're living through. That's right. And do it under the care of someone who is going to support them and guide them through that. And there are... You know, there are other therapies. There's prolonged exposure and other evidence-based treatment for PTSD as well as EMDR. Um, I think EMDR is a, a very effective, I, I know that it's a very effective treatment and research has shown that too. But yeah, avoid avoiding. Now, what that then comes back to is the role of the family in this situation because, um, People avoiding things like um, unpleasant memories maybe needs discussion in families. It maybe needs um, the kind of things that are discussed to be unpleasant and uncomfortable. And therefore, the family may become part of the avoidance. Have you any comments on that? Yes. Well, remember when I said with PTSD, I mean, everyone knows that the person has suffered and wants to spare them that. And remember when I said the family members will start over-functioning, taking on more and more responsibility, and just kind of um, what, what, just functioning for the person instead of taking on that difficult work and, and uh, encouraging that. And that's Sometimes they way. do occur, encourage it, and they have to encourage it for a long time before the person finally um, finally decides that they they do need treatment. This is putting a a different face on caring, not in a negative way, but in a, in a surprising way. In other words, it's saying to people giving them a message which is a tough message rather than necessarily a caring message. And I have a feeling that there's another whole episode on this topic for Family Caregivers Unite where we talk about how that kind of approach in a family to avoid the avoidance can be fostered and linked with the kind of care that you give, the kind of care that others are giving. Because it seems to me that that sort of message um, is a tough one, but nevertheless, uh, and you made it very clear, is a vital one. So, unfortunately, we've now come to the end of this um, episode. And I want to thank you, Nancy, for sharing with us your experience, your insights and your advice. And being so clear about what it is you're doing 
and why you're doing it and why families should understand the needs and why families uh, should be there in support, but they should be helped to understand the kind of support that's going to be best for their loved ones. Good message. Now, I want to say thank you to our listeners. We'd like to hear your comments on this episode and from our listeners. I'd like to hear about ideas for topics or if you're interested in being a guest on the show. Our next episode will be teaching persons with disabilities to cook confidentially. Let us talk about that. And please, dear listeners, join us same time, same spot on the Internet talk to you then. Thank you again for joining us this week for Family Caregivers Unite with your host, Dr. Gordon Atherley. Please tune in again next Tuesday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time, 1 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. And until then, we hope our program will help make the coming week easier and more hopeful. And I do appreciate you being Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. 